G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Hi there, it's Neil Johnson back with today's 2020 podcast. Remember, you can hear 2020 on the Vision Radio Network from 10 a.m. Eastern, that's 11 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Saving Time, weekdays on the Vision Radio Network. Well, there are some very difficult to reach out to places around the world, and over the past decades, all sorts of places have been given reputations for things like headhunters and cannibals. One of our close neighbours, Papua New Guinea is one of these places. David Sitton was a missionary for 38 years in PNG and he's now recorded his stories in a book called Reckless Abandon. It's all about a modern-day gospel pioneer's exploits amongst one of the most difficult-to-reach peoples. I spoke with David Sitton in March last year about being a pioneering missionary. David, uh, 38 years you were a missionary in Papua New Guinea. Let's just go back to the beginning because really you just had your surfboard and were living a fairly simple lifestyle until God had his call upon your life. Yes, sir. Just uh, in the mid-70s, just living uh, in South Texas, uh, pretty much uh, drug-using, surfing, and just pretty much in the, the ungodliness of that kind of a lifestyle. But the Lord through a girlfriend, uh, just radically uh, turned my life around, uh, radically converted me, and set me on a, on a path for, for the nations. And, uh, you know, if I could take just a moment just to tell you how, a little bit how, how it happened, this missionary came through this missionary Bible school, and uh, he, he gave me a verse and a challenge. And the, the verse was Romans fifteen twenty. Uh, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known, not building on another man's foundation. And he said, here's the challenge. He said, in Papua New Guinea, there are hundreds of tribes, many of them uh, very remote. Some, some of them four or five days walk back into the jungles and mountains and, and swamps. Some of them uh, in the mid-70s were still cannibalistic and headhunting. And he said, come with me, brother, and let's go get some of them for Jesus. You're a young man. I can mentor you. I can teach you how to approach these tribes and and come with me. And and I can just remember, I mean, that was 35 years ago. And I remember the moment that that guy was looking into my eyes, giving me this verse and this challenge and my life turning uh, towards the nations and just having a passion to take the gospel to uh, places where, Never in the history of some of these cultures has his name gone. Your book, David, is called Reckless Abandon. You're really describing reckless abandon in, uh, in, in dumping a fairly comfortable lifestyle, as you say, with your surfboard and the part, those party days, and actually doing something which uh, for many people is just, you know, it's not even something that enters their understanding. Well, I didn't have to dump the surfboard. Uh, October 3rd, 77, I took off with my surfboard and a Bible and a suitcase. So uh, I was able to take it and did some surfing still, even in Papua New Guinea. 
but you know this this mentor of mine uh, that had challenged me the, the, on the second day of, of being in Papua New Guinea, he pushed this piece of paper across the table to me, and it was a burial form, and he was laughing and he said, "Brother, he said, I told you, you know, is, we're, we're going to be walking four or five days back into the mountains and jungles. You might die on the trail, or, or they might kill us when we get there." And he was laughing, and he said, I'm not going to haul your carcass back to the coast. And he had this burial for him. And so uh, I signed it, and I made him sign one as well. And, uh, you know, we laughed, but we also uh, had serious moments of conversation. And we agreed that if it ever happened that one of us would bury the one or the other uh, in some remote place in Papua New Guinea, we would say, Jesus is worth it. Uh, The gospel is worth it. Getting the gospel to unreached tribes in New Guinea is worth it. And really, that's, uh, that's the idea of, uh, of the book Reckless Abandon, that whatever it costs, Jesus is worth it. David, cast your mind back to that very first opportunity that you had to, uh, to move through the jungles in Papua New Guinea, and uh, perhaps you can uh, shed some light on, on which uh, tribal groups you were able to go to. But those first encounters with people who were cannibalistic, uh, who were a head-hunting tribe. What were your memories? Well, the very first tribe that this uh, mentor of mine took me to was the Kuka-Kuka tribe, and they were not head-hunting. They were still acting cannibalistic uh, in in 1977 when when we first approached them. So if you just put it into your mind, uh, you know, what they would look like, you know, grass skirts, bones in the nose, headdresses, you know, black people, uh, carrying bows, arrows, spears, and and they were a feared people in this mountain range. I mean, they would go on these these uh, tribal raids and and uh, just wipe out villages. I mean, they they would kill men, women, children, burn villages, rape women, and usually bring one or two warriors back and put them on a rotisserie like a pig, and they would eat them, <clears throat> and they would give. You know, have have these tribal chants, and and it would be like a way of giving praise to the ancestral spirits that gave them victory in in warfare over their enemies. I mean, this is the way these guys were living in the mid seventies when we first approached them. And what about actually reaching out into those tribes? Because I'm only imagining that uh, on making contact, there would need to be some sort of assimilation into the tribal life before they'll listen to what you've got to say, particularly since you'd have to learn their language as well, to be able to communicate these messages of the gospel. Well, exactly. In my case, in this very first uh, situation with the Kukakukas, my mentor took me, uh, in there, so he was sort of my translator, and uh, he, I mean, he he put me on the on the uh, on the front burner uh, right from the first day. He said, "You're going to preach," and I said, "Man, I'm 20 years old." I, he said, "Just preach. Tell them stories. Tell them about our great God." And we just began to tell them stories the, from the Old Testament, and just a long, long story. But to make it short. When we came to the story of Noah and the flood and we began to tell that story, these guys got really excited. They were clicking their tongues. Uh, they were looking back and forth to each other, just obviously excited. And they began. one of the guys jumped up and yelled at us and said, you know, we know that you're from God. You must be God uh, from God. How else could you know our tribal stories? And so they had the story of the worldwide flood. 
And, uh, you know, as the years have gone by, I realize there are hundreds of tribes all around the world that have that story of the worldwide flood. Uh, but what God did in this case was he turned the heart of the people. He gave us credibility with these people, and they became very eager to, to get right to the heart of what the gospel message was about. David, let's talk about fear for a moment, because I guess uh, for the rest of us listening into your story, uh, there would be elements that would hold us back from actually having the level of reckless abandon that is the title of your book. Uh, but you went in there. Did you did you feel that that fear come over you at times? Uh, were there circumstances and dangers that you faced where you you're saying, well, what am I doing here? Well, you know, I've sometimes been called, uh, you know, a modern-day Indiana Jones, but but I'll tell you, uh, it wouldn't be honest to to say that there's not fear. In fact, if if there's no such thing as fear, there's no such thing as courage. And so, uh, you know, there of course there's 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 fear. Um, you know, these guys jumping around you, you don't you're not quite sure what they're saying. They're chanting all of these things. They've got bows and arrows and spears, and the, yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely. Uh, is sometimes fear, um, and yet, you know, the way to combat the fear is to understand how much of a treasure that Jesus Christ is. And I mean, to, it's easy to just say Jesus is worth it, but if you ever get that down to the core of your heart, that Jesus is worth everything, I mean, and there's no line that you draw over which he's no longer worth it. There is no line. He's worth everything. Uh, then that's going to be a, a great resource that helps you to uh, deal with the fear. David Sitton is with us. He's the author of a book called Reckless Abandon, a modern-day gospel pioneer's exploits among the most difficult to reach peoples. David, stay with us. We'll come back and talk some more shortly here on 2020. You're listening to the 2020 Podcast on the Vision Radio Network. We're back with our 2020 Summer Series Conversation with missionary David Sitton. He's the author of Reckless Abandon, a book sharing his stories of 38 years of missionary work in Papua New Guinea. I asked David about the dangers of early missionary work. We're talking about going into areas in Papua New Guinea uh, three to four decades ago uh, where there were still headhunting cannibalistic tribes and David was there. David, uh, in those days when you were able to take the gospel message into tribal areas in Papua New Guinea and you were there for many years, you would have seen some amazing transformations in that time. Yes. Well, the, the, as we were just talking about the Kuka Kuka tribe, as the Lord turned their hearts to us and, and gave us that credibility, uh, just, again, long stories and, and years of, of investing into these, these, these people. But one night I was sitting uh, inside of this hut with the leaders with a fire in the middle of us, and I'm trying to explain to them what it would mean for them if they came to repent and to turn to Christ and to commit themselves to living a new kind of life. And, you know, it wasn't so much preaching. It was just sitting and talking and asking questions and telling stories back and forth, as Paul would say, sort of just reasoning together. And as we did that, again, the Lord kind of did the Lydia miracle on them as well. 
where he just began to open their hearts and he granted them the ability to repent and to believe this message. And one of these guys, he, he reached around and he got his tummy hawk and he pulled the stone out of it and he threw it in the fire, the fire that was in the middle of this hut between us. And he did the same with his bows and arrows and the other two chiefs. They ran off and got their implements of war, and other people ran off and brought their implements of war. And it was very much like the story we have in the, the story in the New Testament where, where the people brought their witchcraft books and burned them in an open show of repentance from the old way. I mean, God just brought that kind of massive you know, I would say revival, but I mean, this is a place where the the gospel had never ever gone before in the history of these people. So it wasn't revival; it was vival. It was the very first time that uh, that Christ was made known in this mountain range. And what happens with the superstitions and the uh, often uh, animistic type religious uh, uh, pursuits? Uh, You mentioned witch doctors. What happens when people convert to Christianity in a culture where those sorts of things have guided that culture for all of those uh, generations? Well, it's the same that happens with us. There's there's a transformation. There's a, a sanctification, a process of becoming more and more like Christ with, with these kookakukas. One of the things that they believed about cannibalism, they, they believed if they ate a warrior from another tribe, that they would receive that person's courage, strength, wisdom. By eating him, they would receive those things. And so you think how it was for me the first day that I stood up. You know, I don't know if you've ever read John chapter 6 to a cannibal before. John chapter 6, Jesus said, he that uh, he that does not eat my flesh and drink my blood has no part with me. And I began to explain to them the meaning of communion. This is after the you know about 300 of them had had come to Christ. They'd been baptized. So so there were some weeks down the road now in this process. But as we're teaching them about communion, these people begin falling on the ground. Man, they they are weeping, uh, weeping because of their sin against God but also because of this thing that they believed about cannibalism, they were weeping because of the intimacy of of friendship and relationship that they could have with with Jesus Christ. And everything that Christ is, we can become that. I mean, that's, that's what our journey on this earth is all about until the day that Jesus comes back and completes it, right? I mean, we, we, we are becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus, and one day we're going to become like him when we see him as he is. And, and, of course, these people had to get rid of cannibalism, and it did end relatively quickly. But before it left, God used it, and he taught them something just crit- critically important about, uh, about communion and about the intimacy of relationship that we can have with, with, with Jesus Christ. David, what do you say today to challenge Christians who are afraid to step outside of their comfort zones. You've obviously been there and with your reckless abandon into very dangerous situations and you've been able to see firsthand and experience the power of God and the transformation of this message of the gospel. What is it that you say to Christians today when you have an opportunity to speak to them? Well, one of the things uh, that I say frequently is that most of the Bible is written by suffering, persecuted, 
believers to other suffering, persecuted believers. And if you don't understand that that's the, the context of most of the Bible, you're not going to understand the Scriptures. And when, when Jesus says to us, as the Father sends me, so send I you, I send you out as lambs among wolves, we, we, we have to understand that that's still an operative text for us today. That's not something just for the original disciples. The gospel, and, and, and you see this in the book of Acts, you see it in church history, all the way to this present day, and I mean this very day, today, I got two different emails from around the world that were testimonies of two more people who, had, who gave their lives today. They were slaughtered. You know, persecuted and martyred simply because they love Jesus Christ. And this is the way the gospel advances. It's, it's in a context of slaughter. Uh, the gospel has always gone forward through resistance and hardship and persecution. And so, you know, you, you, you have to uh, deal with the truth of those passages, but again, you, you have to get a hold on the preciousness of the treasure that Christ is. Uh, because n none of us, and even as I sit here this evening and I'm talking to you, I don't have it within me to just go out and lay my life down and die some grisly death somewhere for people that I don't even know. I don't have that in me. But God, he gives you courage in the moment. And, and in the moment that you need that kind of courage, my testimony is that he gives it. And, and, you know, it's amazing, you know, how God gives you words, he gives you boldness, he gives you courage in the moment of trial, and, and you're able to be a faithful witness for him in those moments. Of course, David, we're all missionaries in some sense. Uh, there are some that are on that front line and, as you were, risking your life uh, with a cannibalistic, head-hunting people. Uh, others, though, would have supported you to be there. There's, it's a team effort, isn't it, to, to get yeah, any missionary onto the front line, and we all have a role to play. Exactly. What I'm calling on, on the, 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 well, you know, like John Piper says, you know, there's three things you can do with the Great Commission. He says you can go, you can send, or you can disobey. <laughs> we don't like that disobey part, and so we're all goers or senders. But what I want to encourage both the goers and the senders, the sacrifice that is required, I think it should be equal. The way we put it is that we're looking for missionary martyrs who are willing to go, and we want financial martyrs who are willing to stay back here and send them. But it's all of us going and giving and sacrificing so that the gospel advances to the ends of the earth for the glory of God. Uh, you know, it's, I think we're all called to the same thing. We're just called to different aspects of the mission. The mission, when we're called to Christ, we're called to his mission, and that mission is to make his name known among all of the nations. And so radically going and radically sending and working together for the glory of God, that's how we're going to get it done. 
Well, for more than 30 years, David Sitton was used. Uh, He trained missionaries. He spread the gospel. He established dozens of churches in remote regions of Papua New Guinea. His book is called Reckless Abandon, a modern-day gospel pioneer's exploits among the most difficult-to-reach peoples. Uh, I'll point you to David's website at www.com. To everytribe.com. David Sitton, it's been a pleasure, and thanks for being with us today and sharing your story on 2020. I appreciate it very much, Neil. God bless you, man. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts, or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.